Welcome back to our study of the sixth petition with Thomas Watson. The second part we started last week, the first part that has been the bulk of our study, remember, is lead us not into temptation. The second part we just began last week, uh, deliver us from evil. In a while, we'll take a look at again uh, that uh, what is often in view and understood is deliver us from the evil one. So, so much of our study still relates to Satan. But right now, he's taking us to study simply the evil of sin itself. We started that last week. It was pretty powerful. We're going to continue with that tonight. And uh, what he's going to start now is a section on to help us see how evil sin is and how wretched it is that we really desire to be delivered from giving into it. Uh, to give in, be delivered from giving into the temptation and then choosing to sin. He says, one of the things that you want to do is compare it to other things and by comparison help us recognize how bad it really is. And tonight it'll be, as you know, affliction. We sang, sang that section of Psalm 119 that talks about the good of affliction. And yes, we know affliction is difficult and painful and we generally pray, please get me out of this as soon as possible. That's not a sinful prayer to want to be relieved. We know even Christ our Lord who never sinned prayed that if this cup could be taken from him, yet not thy will but thine be done. And he suffered with even sweat as blood. He said, I struggle even to to the, uh, the sense of wanting to die or feeling like I'm going to die, I guess we should say, and then went to the crucifixion. So there's a sense of how horrible affliction is, and yet sin is much worse. So if we think about how horrible affliction is in terms of the experience, and then we recognize how sin is much worse, hopefully we go away with an even graver, uh, sober uh, understanding of why we want to be, be uh, delivered away from doing it, Okay. So that's our study tonight. Now, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm, I started this book, Our Ancient Foe, and I, I'm pretty sure I have a sermon out of something I was reading for you this Lord's Day. Um, Satan's History, Activity, and Ultimate Demise, uh, done by a bunch of uh, lectures once by the Alliance. Whoops. Out there, Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, uh, produced by PNR Publishing. This chapter isn't as directly related, but something that he said, I, I think I'd like to just share with you as uh, uh, something to you know have some variety in the studies, but also uh, I think it's powerful, and I think it's a good way to go back to studying "Deliver Us from Evil." He says this. Actually, excuse me, he's, he's talking about Satan's tactics and how he's a liar. He lies to deceive. He deceives to uh, tempt us, get us to sin, and suffer for it. And uh, he brings up something I think you're probably familiar with, but it's, it's so helpful to review. The screw tape letters. If you haven't read that by C.S. Lewis, it's kind of this conversation between the demons serving Satan. It's kind of the behind the scenes look at how they go about trying to get us to sin and hurt and destroy the church and our families. And he gives this one quote. He says, um, he says listen to this interchange between the senior demon screw tape and his fledgling nephew Wormwood as an example of how Satan trumpets moderation in matters of faith. And the reason I want to quote this tonight is we tend to minimize sin. Part of that rationality. We tend to bring it down. Ah, it's not that bad. And the other idea of it, we tend to minimize the concern to be perfectly holy, uh, obedient in all the little jots and tittles. We tend to talk it down, and uh, that's exactly what Satan wants us to do, so that we sin by making light of it. And so, screw type, he's training Wormwood as an apprentice to get people to, you know, sin by Satan's influence. He says this about moderation in matters of faith. He says, if you can once get him to the point of thinking that 
quote, religion is all very well up to a point. I can't tell you how certain people in my life, close to me in my life, I almost can hear their voice literally say those words because I've heard him say it so many times. Religion is all very well up to a point. He says, if you can get a person to the point of thinking, notice that we had a sermon recently by, led from this book, Satan is pretty much getting you to try to rationalize sin away, so you do it. Get him to think, religion is all very well up to a point. You can feel quite happy about his soul. A moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all and more amusing. More amusing to them, <laughs> the demons, right? A moderated religion is better than no religion at all. Get them to think they're religious. Getting to think that they're good people and they're doing enough and we don't need to be worried about Semper Reformanda all the time and we don't need to question our worship practices or this or that, you know. Um, we don't need to look more at ourselves and you know, we can justify how we well, I went to the morning service for the Lord's Day, right? But now I can go out and bowl or whatever, play, you know, whatever it is. You know, we, 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 we we can minimize these kinds of things. And a moderated religion is, uh, is as good as no religion. Now, what's the name of this church? Puritan Reformed Church, Presbyterian Church. The Puritans were all concerned about not being moderate, but being zealous. Not um, pretending that we can earn salvation with good works, but we're supposed to be zealous for good works, the Bible says, and to provoke one another into love and good works. Not saying, that's nah, good enough. You know, don't get crazy about this Christianity thing. You know, you know, you got to live a little, right? God understands. You got to, you got to take, you got to consider the situation and what I'm dealing with, you know, whatever it is, right? So I'll read that one more time. I know I broke it up for its power that I took away from breaking it up. If you, again, one demon to another, if you can once get him to the point of thinking that religion is all very well up to a point, you can feel quite happy about his soul. A moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all and more amusing. And I want to remind you, what is sin? We looked at it last time. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer number 14. Sin is any want of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. Any. At all. Jesus says, not one little jot or tittle did I come to let you out of. I came to fulfill the law, right? Uh, one tiny sin. One sin, Jim says, we're guilty of all. And we know as soon as we give into sin, we saw that's just sliding down to more and more, worse and worse. So as long as you get us to minimize the need to try to be zealous, as, he point, as Thomas Watson pointed out last week, it's not just deliver me from evil explicitly, but it implies help me grow in piety, make progress in piety, zealous. That's what really the concern is for. Uh, and as we studied this Lord's Day with Elijah, Elisha to Elijah, give me a double portion of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, ask the Father, give me more of the Holy Spirit. He produced more of his fruits. Help me to grow in sanctification. That's the will of the Lord for me. But uh, as long as Satan can get us to say, ah, you know, don't overthink it. Give yourself a break. You deserve a break today. You know, oh, come on, a little fudging here and there. Oh, come on, a little bit of this or that isn't going to kill anybody. Well, it's likely going to kill you, but could kill a lot of other people one way or the other, right? Okay. Well, I'm going to try to share little nuggets as I can. 
Sometimes when it's too much to, for a nugget, I might bring it to you by way of a topical sermon as I'm still trying to get a lot done, extra stuff for the church and uh, need some extra time to get ready for Nehemiah. But uh, where we're going to pick it up now with that as an as a introduction that I hope uh, increases your interest, I'm going to pick it up now where uh, Thomas Watson says, uh, judge of sin by comparison and it will appear to be the more deadly evil. Now, remember, we're in the section now that we just started, the second part of his whole study of the sixth petition, and deliver us from evil. Right now, we're studying the evil of sin. That's what we focused on last week. Now, another way of looking at it is by comparison and contrast. So that's what he's doing tonight. Uh, I'm going to let you know where we're going. The affliction is a larger part of this study of comparison. I'm going to attempt to finish it tonight. So bear with me if I kind of move along at a pace and don't entertain as many questions because I don't want to keep you too long with the heat. Um, but the other thing he says, uh, hold on, I think I went past it here. The other thing, we're not going to study it tonight, but to increase your interest for next time, sin is worse than death. Sin is worse than death. And also sin is worse than hell. So, yeah, I saw one brow kind of go, hmm, what? Come back for more. <laughs> That's supposed to get us to see how evil sin is, that we would really mean, please deliver me from evil, the evil of sin. So tonight, the study is going to focus in a great detail on the topic of affliction. Again, affliction is something we generally want to get out of. Affliction is difficult, physically, mentally, um, especially when it's for great length. Uh, there is plenty of reason to pray, Lord, relieve me from this. We've talked about that in other studies, I believe, through the study of the Lord's Prayer, through the larger catechism, for instance. So it isn't wrong to ask to get out of it, but we should more ask, help me not to sin, deliver me from evil, and if I have to stay in affliction, so be it. Because it's far worse for me to go into sin than it is be relieved from affliction and then start sinning or sin more. And, and I don't actually think we, I don't think in our sinfulness and our uh, need for the Lord to help us understand better, I don't think we actually believe that or contemplate it that much. But let's contemplate it together, together tonight. So again, we're going to compare different things with sin to especially see how evil it is that we want to be delivered from doing it. Uh, and be delivered from it once for all. Come Lord Jesus, come quickly, right? But compare sin that it'll appear to be more deadly evil. You'll see how deadly it is. And again, tonight he says first, the first thing we're going to compare sin with is affliction. He says there is more evil in a drop of sin than in a sea of affliction. Now stop and take that in. Consider the Pacific Ocean. I'm always thankful we have, you know, illustrations right in our backyard in the mountains of the Pacific Ocean. Go there this week and think about that statement. Think of one little drop that comes out. You know, it's funny, our shower before we got things fixed, I'd drip, drip, and that drive me crazy. Little drips, you know. Imagine a tsunami, you know. And uh, there, he says... Uh, there is more evil in a drop of sin, the potency of the evil of it and the horridness of it compared to an ocean of affliction, much more diluted, though it might consume you more for a time, you know? 
you can think about this. If you have to swim in an ocean with all kinds of challenges, or you have to drink one drop of poison, which one would you choose? Again, choose swimming in the ocean rather than I'll drink the drop of poison in its concentration and be dead in a moment, right? You know? Okay, so that's the comparison he's making. Let me, let me try to make progress for us tonight. Uh, number one, sin is the cause of affliction, and the cause is more than the effect. So affliction is often a result of sin, but the cause, sin itself, is worse. Um, I'm going to move through some of these more quickly than others. Uh, number two, God is the author of affliction. Shall, shall there be evil in a city, and the Lord hath not done it? Amos 3 verse 6. So we want to recognize God is using affliction for our good. Even when it is evil to get our attention, often he's bringing on great evils upon us to afflict us that we would repent and be restored to him. But that's much different than sin. We know we just saw in our confession, the section we're studying in Providence, God is not the author of sin. So in that sense, affliction is better as well. Number three, affliction reaches the body only, makes that miserable, but sin makes the soul miserable. I think we might counter say, but wait a minute, a lot of times, you know, when I'm struggling in the hospital or a great physical affliction, that does affect my soul. And I think there's a truth to that, but not like sin does. Completely different animal, completely different situation. Uh, here's one that we're going to give extra attention to. I am mostly going to read the scriptures he gives to you, but we'll look at a few extra. Afflictions are good for us, number four. Sin isn't good for us. God can use it for good. We remember we've studied that earlier. Uh, again, the Confession of Faith, chapter 5, section 5, a very pastoral section about how God can use our sin. Why does he let it happen? But afflictions are good for us. And he quotes Psalm 119, verse 71, that we sang this evening. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Verse 67, we sang, said, it was good that I was afflicted. It brought me to your word. Right? How often do we need to be afflicted? It brings us to, to the word. And, and how, I mean, what is sin but an abandonment of God's word? Right? And God's word is life and bread. And, um, and then, of course, verse 70. Uh, I wrote down verse 71. It should be 75. In faithfulness, uh, you have afflicted me, right? In your, in your goodness and faithfulness, you have afflicted me. So verses 67 and 75, as well as 71, are all saying close together. And when the scripture has repetition, especially close together, like Psalm 42 does and Psalm 43... Why downcast all my soul? Why so disquieted within me? Hope though in God, I shall yet hope in him for the help of his countenance. Three times, right? Uh, twice in Psalm 42, once in Psalm 43, short psalms close together. Really want to pay attention to repetition in the scriptures. R.C. Sproul points out, that's like the Bible highlighting something for you. Uh, don't miss this. He gives the example of, can you think of the example he gives with Isaiah? Chapter 6, repeated in Revelation. Huh? Rachel? Right. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God's holiness, his attribute of holiness is underscored, italicized, highlighted, bolded by that repetition. That's how God does that in the scriptures. So recognize in Psalm 119, these three talks about how good it is to be afflicted so close together. When we go through affliction, brethren, we need to think to go to that psalm, pray it, sing it, 
regularly, repetitively. It's, it's there for a reason, okay? Um, so often we're like, why? Why is this happening to me? Why? 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 I understand. I'm the same. We need to recognize it's good. It's good. That needs to be more what we say. One of the things he says is affliction humbles us. Affliction humbles us. Anybody not need to be more humbled? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord that he would lift you up. God humbles the proud. He lifts up the, the humble, right? Um, Peter, James. Uh, one thing I thought would be helpful, the, Greek, uh, the Hebrew word for affliction. I reviewed it. I'm like, oh, Anna. I remember this word. Psalm 129. Um, Many times, O Lord, have they afflicted us, but we have not been broken down. I'm, I'm not quoting it very well. I'm very much alluding. But I preached on it a long time ago. Many a times, O Lord, let Israel now say, they have afflicted us. And yet they're trusting in the Lord and God is using it. Um, the word afflict, afflicted uh, can mean oppressed. Oppressed. It can mean humiliated. And as you see it in Psalm 129, when it's being done to you, especially by people against the church and Satan, hostile, hostility. So hostility is happening to me, oppression, humiliation. That's what it is to go through affliction, and, and that's good, because it isn't sin. Um, he mentions Lamentations 3.19. Remembering mine affliction, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. God uses it to humble us, and we need to be humbled. We might ask, if we're asking why the afflictions, if they seem to pour on us so much, we might say, how much have you learned to be humble from it? Maybe you need more lessons. That's perhaps why, right? You know? Um, uh, kind of like I always think of Becky used to joke, uh, we can have that temptation to pray, Lord, give me patience and hurry up. You know, <laughs> like, you know, well, sounds like probably you're going to go through more things to teach you patience. James says, let patience have its perfect work. Gabriel, real fast. Okay, I can't hear you really well, but it sounds like you're talking about something that happened that you didn't respond to well. You changed your mind and had a better attitude about how the Lord would use it. That's what you're telling me? I should pass the microphone around, but go ahead. Oh. Oh. One day he went from swimming class saying, I don't need to learn anymore. But then he realized, no, I do need to learn more. That's right. We just studied that today with our devotion with, I think it was a proverb that uh, we need to keep being taught. We need to keep learning. Like little bear cubs, they come out the size of a big banana. Didn't know that. And naked. And, you know, can't hardly do anything. In a couple of months, they're learning how to catch fish. But the point was, they have to learn all of this from the mommy. And we have to always be learning and always growing. And that's right. We want to grow in that. Thank you, Gabriel. I should be passing the mic around. Um, so Lamentations 3.19 says, the affliction humbled me. He says, uh, afflictions are compared to thorns in the scriptures. These thorns are to prick the bladder of pride. You know, when you prick a balloon, what happens? <laughs> A couple weeks ago, uh, the younger boys have been getting a real kick out of taking these rubber gloves we bought for painting and filling them up with water. Dad's becoming Mr. Wilson. Only air inside, water outside. You know? And one, one day, Gabriel sat on one, and all of a sudden, 
and you heard all the water, <laughs> the whole couch was wet, you know. And, uh, but that's the idea. We want to prick it like we want to lance a, a sore that's full of pus, right? We want, we want affliction to prick and make the bad stuff come out fast, right? We don't want that thing to ooze. It's like yanking a tooth. Pull it out, get all that stuff out. And pride that bubbles up, sometimes we need it to be pricked by affliction to humble us, take out pride. So uh, Hosea 2 verse 6, affliction is the school of repentance. Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised, I repented. Um, oh, excuse me, I think he was given Hosea 2 6 related to the prick of bladder. Uh, that what I just quoted to you is Jeremiah 31, 18 and 19. He says, affliction brings us nearer to God. Um, the prodigal, when he went through all that he did, Luke 15, 18, all the pain, it made him go back to his father. Right? All the money and the good stuff, I always think, I'm always alluding to this, all get everything you want from your parents. They can tend to leave you and abuse and not use it well. When they have nothing and they're pricked, then they come back, uh, let me please be your servant, you know. Um, so we want to recognize God uses these things to bring us back to him. Uh, so we use his resources rightly. Uh, it brings us near to God, brings us near to the Father. It prepares us for glory. Light affliction worketh for us an eternal weight of glory, Paul writes. Second Corinthians 4.17 Light affliction worketh for us an eternal weight of glory. Remember the Bible talks about in the New Testament how God rewards those who diligently seek him. He's, he's just. He rewards. He's, he's watching and he's going to bless us for what we go through for him. He says, thus affliction is for our good, but sin is not for our good. And that's the comparison he's making. Affliction is for our good. Sin is not for our good. Not that God can't use it for good and our good, but it isn't itself. Uh, Manasseh's affliction, he says, brought him to humiliation. But that of Judas brought him to desperation. And even, you know, um, suicide. Number five, uh, how can we uh, relate it to affliction? A man may be afflicted and his conscience be quiet. But that's not true with sin. You know, we can go through affliction, but we can have peace about it. We can't with sin. Never going to have peace. Thus, in affliction, conscience may be quiet. But when a man commits a presumptuous, scandalous sin, conscience is troubled. You see, the why, you see how much worse sin is? You can go through affliction, but have a nice... Con Everybody knows what it's like to have a guilty conscience and have a troubled conscience. Never leaves you. Makes you sick physically, right? Uh, until you come to the Lord. But affliction doesn't do that. Affliction sometimes, as we saw in Psalm 119, can actually bring you to a real state of peace with the Lord and in your own heart. Isaiah 48, tw 22, and also 57, verses 20 to 21, the latter we looked at last time, there's no peace for the wicked. Or as they say, there's no rest for the wicked, right? Um, and you see that with Judas, right? Okay, you see that with Herod, you see that with, with many, there, there's just no peace. Uh, you see that with King Saul, right? The evil spirit that just, he gets crazy at the end, does crazy things, right? Um, number six. In affliction, we may have the love of God. Afflictions are love tokens. Remember that. As many as I love, I rebuke, Jesus says. Revelation 3.19. But, Watson says, when we commit sin, God withdraws his love. 
The thing that David had done displeased the Lord, 2 Samuel 11.27. The idea of withdrawing love for the elect, for God's true children, doesn't mean withdraw completely, but God kind of withdraws and steps back. The relation has been affected and needs to be healed, right? We understand what that is like. Affliction brings relationships closer, right? Band of brothers through afflictions. But sin against one another divides, pushes away, right? I think it was, yeah, I was starting to try to listen through uh, Pastor Bell's messages on Satan. I didn't make it through all of the first one, but I'm pretty sure he was pointing out I needed to go back and check it. Uh, I was rocking a baby, so I wasn't always uh, as alert as I might be. But I'm pretty sure he was saying that the name Diablos means the, the, it's the divider, the separator. Like, he, he's completely intended to divide us from God. And, of course, Christ is about bringing us back into reconciliation with God. So Satan's trying to divide us. That's what sin does. It divides us from God, from one another, even from ourselves in a sense. Affliction often unites and brings closer, Right? Uh, I can tell you that, like session with a lot of difficult things we've dealt with over the years, uh, it isn't that we don't, uh, you know, have our sense of oh, when will we get a break? But there's also a real sense of bringing us closer, and I think the church experiences that through challenges. Um, but sin doesn't do that. Sin only divides. That's why Jesus says a house divided against itself can't stand. Right? Sin is a wedge. Number seven, there are many encouragements to suffer affliction. God himself suffers with us. Wow. He gives us Isaiah uh, 58, 9. I think I'm reading the Latin numerals right. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. Now remember, Jesus saves us in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, right? Paul tells us in chapter 2, I believe it is, if not chapter 3, we want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. I think it's chapter 3. Uh, he is their strength in the time of trouble. Psalm thirty-seven, thirty-nine. Everyone that hath forsaken houses or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and inherit everlasting life. Matthew uh, 1929. There's this aspect, I think it relates again to the union and fellowship, but God is there with us. God comes closer. Maybe we wouldn't say suffers as we suffer in the sense, speaking in a metaphor, but he's with us in it, bringing us through it, right? What does it say in Deuteronomy? He carried them like a son through the wilderness, right? I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee, Jesus says. And what do we do with our loved ones when they're suffering affliction? We come closer to them, unless we're jerks. Some people do that. But most of us, especially Christians, we come closer to those who are suffering. We come to minister to them and serve and help them. It brings us closer. So God comes closer with us if we embrace what he gives us with affliction and let him embrace us and we embrace him in it. Number eight, when a person is afflicted, he suffers alone. But by sinning openly, he hurts others. So our own affliction, whatever it's brought upon us, is ours to suffer. It isn't that others may not be brought into it by God, but we didn't bring them into it. But our sin makes others suffer. We bring affliction and suffering on others by our sin. As it is said, and I think we've said before, misery loves company. Right? Uh, Even if we're not intending to. Uh, The priests going wrong caused others to stumble. Malachi 2, 7 and 8. Wasn't that Christ's great concern in the Gospels? You hypocrites, excuse me, Pharisees, scribes, says you'll know them by their fruit. 
these sheep, wolves in sheep's clothing. Well, what was the fruit? Believing and doing the same things they did against God, pretending it was for God. Um, the, uh, we don't want to be causing others to sin, right? Because what does Jesus say? If we're thinking about what's worse, it's better to be afflicted than to cause others to sin, right? What does Jesus say? I think, Elder uh, Renner, I bet you can think of it. You've ca- talked about the, the image sometimes. Okay. What image does Jesus give us sometimes? Better that you don't cause these little ones to offend, offend these little ones, cause them to sin. It would be better for you what? To have a millstone cast about your neck and cast into the sea. Yeah, try to imagine that. Sinking fast with a stone around your neck, a huge thing. And I think it was you that explained that we're talking the one the donkeys pushed around, big, heavy. Yes, Isaac, quickly. Oh, thank you. Yeah, a millstone was a big circle stone they developed, and the people or the donkey would turn it around. Samson would have been pushing that around with his plucked eyes in the Philistines. Hold on. You asked, I'm going to give you the answer, okay? For anyone listening, this is my son. <laughs> um, and what that millstone would do is it would grind things into powder, you know, wheat, uh, different grains into powder that could be used for making bread and cooking things. Okay, I'm going to move on for time, okay? Gabriel, I'm going to move on for time. Mr. Renner, I called on you, so I'll let you say one more thing. I say lead, but... Gabriel, I'm going to wait on you. Yeah, there's a hole in the center. Right. So basically, you're getting this enormous necklace of heavy stone that sinks you headfirst down into the abyss of the sea, and you drown. And it's fast, right? Jesus says it's better for that to happen to you than to cause others to sin. And here we have Thomas Watson saying, you know, the priest caused others to stumble and sin. And, you know, the blood is on their hands, therefore, right? I'm going to move on, Gabriel. Okay, you can ask me later, please. Number nine, in affliction, the saints may rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 1.6, you received the word in much affliction with joy. So you can be rejoicing in affliction. You took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. Hebrews 10.34 We glory in tribulations. Romans 5.3 Sin, however, is matter of shame and grief, not of joy. So better to be afflicted than to be sinning. And he gives us 2 Samuel uh, 24.10 David, having sinned in numbering the people, his heart smote him. His heart smote him. His heart hurt. He knew he sinned, and it's hurting him. There's no rejoicing in it. And think about his confession of sin in Psalm 51 and in Psalm 32, how he's talking about what it did to him. Psalm 32, especially in my bones, you know, it's like like dry rot in my bones. I was affected by this. You know, he says in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of thy uh, salvation. It means he was losing the experience of it. That's what sin does. You lose the joy of the salvation you have. Affliction doesn't do that to you. As hard as affliction is, it doesn't take away your joy. And sometimes the surprising thing is that it can increase it and give you a glorious witness in it, right? I mean, what happened when they were beat for preaching the gospel in Acts? They rejoiced for the privilege of being beaten for Jesus Christ, right? 
but they wouldn't have been rejoicing for their sins and if they were beaten for their sins, right? Okay, number 10, affliction magnifies a person. Affliction magnifies a person. And um, let me see here. I think what I'd like to do, um, I think that there's uh, so much to think about and consider, and I'm mindful sometimes when I'm editing to put things up of how quickly I go, especially on Wednesday nights. And uh, I was listening to someone recently who was very quick speaking, and it was great because they were so excited, and they were very intelligent. It was a great message. But then I remember on Sunday, Sabbath class, and we were listening to that man give his class, and he was so careful with how he spoke, and I found that really helpful. And uh, I'm not going to try to pretend to be someone that I'm not, but I want to always work on things. And I know that if I try to get through the next section related to affliction, I'm going to try to race through it, not wanting you to keep too long. And I think this is a good place to stop. So we'll, you know, I like to finish a topic and move on to the next one. But we are kind of doing that. Here's what we're going to study next time uh, before we get to the other things. But let me remind you what he's going to tell us is uh, in a little while. Um, yeah, he's going to make a lot of good applications. So we're going to want some time to get through all that. And I don't think we could finish it tonight. But just a reminder, he's going to teach us also uh, that sin is worse than death and sin is worse than hell. So that's where we're getting, although I don't think we'll study that next time. But here's what we're going to study. How do afflictions magnify a person? Uh, in number 10, here's why we should see we would rather have affliction than the evil of sin. Again, we're comparing to recognize how horrible sin is, how heavy it is. But then he has this section where he, a little bit of a, of a, of a spin-off, I guess you would say, a little bit of a side comment. Uh, how do afflictions magnify us? How do they magnify and lift us up and give glory to God? Uh, we've already touched on it a bit, but we're going to give that to be our next study. I'm going to let you out early, but since it's particularly early, if you don't mind, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll close in prayer and then sing one more psalm. Uh, and you'll still leave a lot earlier than usual. So is that okay? All right. Well, let's, let's pray. Lord, let us remember in affliction better to be afflicted than to be sinning. And Lord, let that be a, a regular thing that comes to our heart in prayer when we are crying out to you for relief from affliction. Lord, better to let me be and remain in affliction than that you would let me uh, go into evil. Deliver me from evil, Lord, before delivering me from affliction. Deliver me from the evil of sin before you would deliver me from affliction. Let us recognize, as Psalm 119 said that we sang this evening, it brings us to your word. Uh, it's good for us. Uh, and you are good and faithful in bringing us affliction. And as hard as it is, let us recognize how much harder and worse it is to enter into sin and bring it upon us and its effects, including on others. Let us take these images and these teachings to heart. And, O oh Lord, create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us and restore unto us as you would help us apply what we heard and learned. Restore unto us the joy of thy salvation, even that can be enjoyed and expressed and grown in the midst of affliction. As we have fellowship with you, Lord Jesus, in our sufferings. And we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray for more of the Holy Spirit.
In Jesus' name, and all your people said, Amen.